If we can uh, turn together to the first reading, which is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, both readings are in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a very, very long chapter, so it's split into two. And in fact, I'm going to drop a few verses out from the, the middle of the chapter. So we'll read verses 1 to 28 to start with, which are under the headings of the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And we'll break for a singing and then come back to the reading after that. So 1 Corinthians 15 at the beginning of the chapter. And Paul here under the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes. Now I would remind you brothers. And I may as well say it here. But where the word brothers appears in this chapter. I think it's four times or so. Each time uh, the footnote indicates that it ought to be brothers and sisters. Uh, so I'm going to say brothers and sisters each time. It would seem inappropriate to just say brothers now. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. <coughs> That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father 
after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted he put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son, son himself will also be subjected to him to put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Let's leave the reading there and turn to the Psalter to sing God's praise in Psalm 85 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 85. <coughs> Psalm 85 at verse 6. So that's page 340 in the combined book. Psalm 85. From verse 6 to the end of the psalm, that's five stanzas, and I'll read the first and last stanzas before we sing them. That in thee may thy people joy, wilt thou not us revive? Show us thy mercy, Lord, to us do thy salvation give. Down to the last stanza, yea, what is good the Lord shall give. Our land shall yield increase, justice setteth in his steps, shall go before his face. Verses 6 to 13 of, God's, uh, of Psalm 85 to God's praise. Thank you.
Corinthians 15 and uh, at verse 35. At the end of the chapter, that's under the headings, the resurrection body and mystery and victory. So from verse 35 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he's chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth. A man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does, the imper- sorry, not, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the same that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of, of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Amen. May God bless that reading of his own word to us, and to his name be the praise and the glory. And we'll now sing to his praise and glory by turning to Sing Psalms and Psalm 115. Psalm 115 at verse 9 in Sing Psalms, that's page 153 
of the combined psalm. And singing the verses 9 to the end of the psalm, six stanzas. Again, I'll read the first and last stanzas we're going to sing. O house of Israel, place your trust upon the Lord alone. He is the mighty help and shield of all who are his own. But we extol the Lord on high, his majesty proclaim, both now and evermore exalt and praise his holy name. Verses 9 to the end of the psalm, 115, to God's praise. O house of address you from the scripture you just keep your seats and just pray briefly O Lord Heavenly Father pray that the meditation of our hearts the words that I speak would be to your glory 
and would be for our edification as you lead us and guide us and we depend upon you for all of this for of ourselves we can do nothing and we need to ask all of our petitions in the name of our precious Lord Jesus so we ask it in his name and for his sake Amen The last verse in the chapter we've read verse 58 and we've been reading in the ESV of course which is the pulpit bible the pew bible in this congregation as it is in, in my own and in most congregations within the presbytery so I'll read it again in that version but I want to read it again after that in the NIV therefore my beloved brothers and sisters be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain now the NIV has it slightly differently and the NIV says therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain now he's drawn to this verse with a sword in the NIV and it spoke to me in a way that I think the ESV didn't really there. I think it's mainly the word abounding that was my issue. I know what it means, but it didn't have the same force for me as give yourselves fully. And uh, I thought I'd just like to speak on this verse and try to, just word by word, it's nothing, there's no rocket science about this, it's not very erudite or anything like that, but I hope it'll be helpful to us to, to look at this verse uh, I know it's not exactly when you got in front of you, but it's the same meaning, essentially, but I'm going to go through it in the words as they have it in the NIV. First word is, therefore. One of Paul's favorite and distinctive words, he uses it a lot. Were I a minister, a professional preacher, I would have, with the, maybe the aid of some Bible software, I'd be able to tell you how many times Paul uses the word. But as it is, I just say, he uses it a lot. Says therefore an awful lot. It links what has gone before, telling us that since the foregoing applies, we move on to the conclusion. Therefore, if all that's the case, then this follows. And Paul always uses it correctly, speaking with respect, but he always uses it correctly. Some people now sprinkle their conversation with therefores or its counterpart because when there is no secretary there. Secretor, it's a word that we might not always use a lot, but we might, if we were at the Nicholson Institute, we probably know the, way it's, the word sequamur. Let us follow a good example. Well, a secretor is something that follows on, and he always, he always has something that follows on logically from his therefore. So Paul says, therefore, and he's talking, what's he talking about? What's the main theme in the chapter ahead uh, uh, that just gone by well of course it's resurrection isn't it it's the resurrection of Christ it's the resurrection of the dead and he's gone to great pains as Paul often does by emphasizing it repeating himself because that's the Hebrew way to emphasize the truth by repeating it and to give the converse and so on so he, you have to really pay attention 
So you don't think he's saying there is no resurrection because he's decidedly saying there is a resurrection. But what if you say there's no resurrection? Well, in that case, all bets are off, he's saying. You know, forget that. There is a resurrection, and that's why we have hope. So the therefore is all about the resurrection and the certainty of the resurrection. So we're saying, therefore, because of all that, because it's so, there is a resurrection, because there's a consequence of the resurrection, therefore, I'm going to tell you something else. He says, my dear brothers, or dear brothers and sisters. And I think, I mean, we live in a time when people all sorts of crazy arguments of genders and so on, but there's no doubt about it that we have been we're, we've been a very male-oriented denomination, much of the church has been. But most of our people are female. Most of our members in cross denomination are women. And we're all equal in the sight of God as far as salvation is concerned. There are some roles that are reserved in scriptural terms to men. But that's got nothing to do about whether per, the spirituality or anything of a person, does it? So it's important that we remember, and we don't just say, my dear brothers, because that is a bit exclusive. So, my dear brothers and sisters. So he shows his love for the Corinthians, because he's writing to them, but also because he knows it's going to come down to us, because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's also showing his love for us now, here in Chalbust, 2,000 years later. And the ESV emphasizes in footnotes that he clearly means both I've said that several times. I'm not going to leave the point anymore. He, so he didn't have any issues with gender. Far from it. He's, some, some people thought, think of him as a misogynist, but no, he makes it very clear. He, he, there's a distinction in roles, but not in salvation. And here he's getting closer to his readership because he could have just said, therefore, stand firm. But he says, therefore, comma, Beloved or dear brothers and sisters, comma. So close the parenthesis. Doesn't have to have the parenthesis in. You could just say, therefore, stand firm. Which sounds a bit harsher. This sounds softer, more encouraging. Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. The stand firm is the next bit. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. The ESV has be steadfast. In Ephesians chapter 6, where the great chapter about the, um, the armour of God, I'll just briefly turn that up, and no need to turn it yourselves, but um, the whole armour of God, verse 11 on, where, um, verse 10, where actually, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And at verse 14, uh, in the ESV, it's, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness and so on and so forth. But in the NIV, it's stand firm. So that's the words he uses here, stand firm. How do you stand firm? By putting on the whole armor of God. His righteousness, his word and so on. Sword of the spirit. You know what the elements of the armor of God are. That's another sermon completely, but the idea is that's how you can stand firm, by taking yourself the armor of God. And it's said as an imperative as well, isn't it? It's said, it's a command. It's an instruction. It's not a suggestion. 
It's not a, no, like, like Sergeant Wilson used to be in the Home Guard sort of thing. You chaps wouldn't mind to just line me up here. No, none of that is. Stand firm. That's what you're to do. He softens it by saying to your brothers and sisters, but it's still an order. It's an instruction. And it's a gentle command. It's not harsh. It's an encouraging command. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, speaks of us being steadfast, fixed, firm in the faith of the gospel. As Paul was speaking to these, in requiring these believers, and in fact all believers, including ourselves, not to depart from the gospel, but to be states to stand firm. And after stand firm, it's let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. In other words, have an anchor. Be anchored. Don't be shifted about by every wind. So this applies to us. When we start kowtowing to popular culture, to popular ideas of morality and so on, we end up compromising. We end up in knots. We end up not able to know what we're doing or how to defend our position. And I don't think it's, it could be wrong at the moment at the, at the precise moment not to point out the awful difficulty the Church of England is getting itself into at the moment and the Archbishop of Canterbury saying things that quite frankly cannot be defended from a Christian point of view uh, that, that is not acceptable that any Christian should take these views because these are the views of the age these are the views of those who do not love God they have no time for him. They're humanists. They're agnostics. They're atheists. They're something like that. But they're not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So why should we take on board their ideas or accept them as, as valid? When they're against God's, not his ideas. Because God doesn't have ideas. God has the truth. He speaks truth. He is truth. And through a lot of COVID... We personally worshipped a lot of the time, before we had anything much online ourselves, at, um, or even when we did, also as Langham Place, an excellent Anglican, low church Anglican church in London, from whence came Life Explored, Christianity Explored, and so on. Now they, and I think St. Helen's Bishop's Gate, another prominent evangelical church in London, have both said they're going to withdraw their givings to the Diocese of London until things are sorted out, until there's a return to the ways of God. So maybe that's the first step out the door, I don't know. But there's things that we cannot compromise on. And these people, like Welby and others, who are prepared to go along with the crowd, to go along with popular culture, they are letting things move them. But we are not to let things move us. Let nothing, nothing, however bad it is, that nothing move you but to stay in touch with the Lord. I mean, with a same-sex marriage or blessing, whose blessing is it anyway? Is it the church's blessing? How can it be? It's got to be God's blessing. How can we give God's blessing on something God would not bless? We can't do it. That seems, it just seems so simple. You don't even have to say it, but... Evidently, you do have to say it. So, 
we've read also for therefore my dear brothers stand firm let nothing move you and then it comes on to say always always give yourselves so always means all the time not only in good times not only when you feel like it when you feel spiritual you know when you feel like you're in the spirit i might go to the prayer room tonight or something like that be there any, anyway whether you feel good or not it's not whether we feel good or not that we should that makes us do something Not only when you know special blessing in your life, not only at a time of revival. When everybody is buoyed up, or many people are buoyed up by the spirit of revival in the place. But also, and not just when you're full of energy yourself. You just have the blessing of some sort and you want to share it. But always, it says, always, that is consistently. Not, not slacking, not failing, but always doing this. And remember, these things are instruction to all of us. And I'm not saying these things as I obey all of this and other people don't. This is something we should all be seeking after. And I'm sure we're all aware and there's lots of ways in which we fail to always give ourselves, as it says here. So always, next word, give. Give is donating. Putting it out there. Not expecting reward, not taking payment, not charging for it. Give. Of ourselves so give yourself or yourselves it says yourselves here but it could also be taken in the singular and if it is in the singular that's easy because that's me I have to give myself if it's in the plural it's how I have to give ourselves it's not to give some group of which I'm not a member I'm not saying you people in souls should be giving yourselves I'm saying we ought to be giving ourselves. Not like the old thing, you know, the, not, forgive my Gaelic, it's very, very limited, but you know that old thing where, you know, some spiritual person would ask another one to do something and say, no, shootain, you know, it's always someone else can do it better. Come now, someone else is more, more worthy. Well, no doubt there's always somebody more worthy, and there sure would have been somebody more worthy to preach in this pulpit today, but I was the one that Kai asked to come here. So, I'm here. So give yourselves, personally, not only someone else to stand in your place, but doing yourself. And I think it's also implied in that, your whole selves, because it says fully. So it's 100%. I'm sorry, come on to fully now anyway. 100%. Not holding back, not withholding something, some effort or other. But it's in sports, like in races, even a 100 meter race or a marathon race, either one. Or a football or a rugby game or something like that. They say someone left it all out there. They left it all on the field. They did everything they could. They do not come back and that's jig. They don't have the energy for it. They've left it out there. Well, that's what we're to do. 100% fully, fully, not holding back giving yourselves fully. Not, we've got to be wholehearted about this, in other words. Not, not half-hearted. Not double-minded, as James says. Always give yourselves fully to what? To the work. To the work, in furtherance of the work. Now, I will admit there are some people that think the work could be anything that a Christian does in their life. 
That's what's called the maximal view of your whole life. Because everything is to the Lord, whether it's your working life, your sports life, your home life, whatever it is, anything. And that's true. Any of that is to the Lord, ought to be the Lord if you're, if you're the Lord's. But here I think the context demands that we say the work is the work of the gospel. The work is the work of spreading the gospel. The work is the work of telling about the Lord Jesus to those who don't know him. And expanding upon that to those that already do know him and trying to build them up in their faith. I mean, this sermon is not, well, you can call it a sermon, this address is not written or thought about with, a, with the unconverted in mind. It's particularly to the Lord's people. But if there's anything in there that can be taken by someone who doesn't know the Lord as yet, so much the better. But it's essentially to the Lord's people. And the work is the work of the gospel. I think, I would say, not just all our, all our, all our lives work, but spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel, and that doesn't mean preaching from a pulpit, but dealing with it in the ways in which we live. We live out the gospel we're as examples. As my good friend Willie Spread, who's a frequent visitor to this, or used to be pre-COVID, I suppose, uh, he gossiped the gospel. He's a great one for gossiping the gospel, Willie. And uh, I think we understand that what that he means by that. Not gossip in a bad way, but gossiping as in, this is what we want to be talking about. This is what it matters. This is what it really, what it really counts. So I'm going to say that's what the work is, and it's the work of the Lord, of course. It's God's cause, His mission, His church, not ours. So this is only for Him. If it's not for Him, it's worthless in this context. So it's the work of the Lord, not the work of the Free Church of Scotland, or the work of. The Free Church Shawbust, or the Free Church Back, or the Free Church of the Presbyterian of the Western Isles, or whatever it is, uh, it's the work of the Lord, the work of God, as it goes on anywhere in His kingdom. It's going to be for the Lord. So always give yourself fully to work to the work of the Lord. And then we have the next word, which is because. So this is explaining why we should always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What does because mean? Well, this is the why. This is where it comes in. The why comes in. There's a specific, particular reason why we should do this. And that's now going to be explained. So because just tells us, right, I'm going to explain now, after this word because, because I said therefore earlier, I'm saying because, and now I'm going to explain what the because is all about. When I say I, I'm talking about Paul. Paul's thinking that. So Paul then says, because you know, you, my readers, you, my listeners, know, you don't need to wonder, you can be assured of this, there's no room for doubt or misunderstanding. You can know it. You can know it for a certainty. It's not a question. I don't know why this came to me suddenly. I wasn't going to mention it, but... Um, Bertrand Russell, who was a noted thinker and agnostic, I think possibly atheist, but certainly an agnostic at the very least. And he was asked what he had to offer. Someone asked him that towards the end of his life. What did he have to offer? Like anybody, for anything. He said, 
I've got nothing to offer but bleak despair. That was the conclusion he came to with all his, all his learning, all his agnostic philosophizing and so on. That's what he came to. That's all he had. What good is that? How does that help mankind? Or anybody? But what do we know? I don't know why, why, why I said that. It just, it just straight into my head. So it seems to be hard. It's taken me down a blind alley now. I have to look back to you know. Well, we do know things. We know that God's word is true. We know that everything he says is true. And therefore we've got something that gives us no room for despair, bleak despair or otherwise. We've got every hope in the gospel. Well, how dreadful it would be not to have hope. There are many people around about us that don't have any hope. Because they don't know God. That's a dreadful condition to be in. And I'm sure most of us were in it for some time. Unless we were converted very, very young in life. But now, we've been brought to know. To know what? To know God, but now, specifically here, to know that your labor, that your labor, that your work, labor indicates effort, purpose, diligence. Labor is graft. Not in the sense of cheating, but graft, hard graft, working hard. It's not just casual. It's with a purpose. It's hard work. Not in a leisurely fashion, not casually. It's, it's labor. It's your labor in the Lord. Again, you come back to in the Lord. Your labor is in the Lord. So if it's in the Lord, it's for the Lord. It's about the Lord. It's not for us. It's not for our sakes. It's, it's principally, it's, it's purely for him. It's in the Lord's work. Your labor in the Lord's work. So we can compare that with the, in the work of the Lord in the earlier part of the verse. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not wasted. Not fruitless. Not pointless. Not for temporal good only. But for eternal good. For the benefit of the kingdom of God. It's not in vain. The New Living Translation has it. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I don't know if it made the bulletin, but I said, well, maybe a, maybe a, a, a title for the sermon, if they want, it could be, um, nothing you do for God is ever useless. Or working for God is never useless. Something like that. But that's what the New Living Translation has. That's a different way of putting it in, in vain. We know in vain pretty well, don't we? We're quite familiar with that term. But I think never useless is perhaps more idiomatic. And it's about efforts, not results, finally. It's about efforts, not results. We're not responsible for the results. That's the Holy Spirit's province. That's his exclusive jurisdiction. We've got no power in that respect. He does. It's his ministry. But we are responsible for obedience. We are responsible for the effort we put in. 
Otherwise, there would not be any imperative here from Paul. He would say, well, it's going to happen anyway. The Holy Spirit will take care of it. Don't worry. He doesn't say that. He says it very clearly. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable. I go back to the ESV, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, Lord, your labor is not in vain. Well, we are responsible there for the effort that we put in. Or the effort that we could put in, but don't. Which is, more, which is more troubling. So we have to take this exhortation to heart. I'm not saying that I expect anyone to say that they don't fall short. I would say I fall short, very short, of this. But we need to seek to comply. This means our desire needs to be, to be obedient. And to seek God's grace that he might help us. Give us the grace to obey and to stand to stand firm and stand fast so that we would be able to read this verse with joy in our hearts that this is a verse the Lord has given us in his word and he's instructed us in and therefore we should have confidence that he will enable us if we seek his grace if we seek his help to do so therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Shall we pray? Eternal Father in heaven, we ask that you might take the words that have been used here and drive any thing that's been wrong away from our minds. Instruct us in your own truth by your, by your own Holy Spirit that we might the better understand and approach you in an appropriate way. That you might hear us in our needs and in your all-surpassing wonderful grace. And now we ask us in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. We'll uh, close by singing in Psalm 110, Scottish Psalter. 110, uh, Scottish Psalter. At the beginning, the first five stanzas, also verses one to five. Again, I'll read the first and last stanzas before we sing. 110, the Lord did say unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thy foes a stool where all thy feet may stand. Down to verse 5. The glorious and mighty Lord that sits at thy right hand shall in his day of wrath strike through kings that do him withstand. These verses to God's praise. And the Lord did
we stand for the doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> 